Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Punchline where we are going to be kind of wrapping two things into one. We're going to take a look at the fights that happened this past weekend at UFC 223 and we're going to jump ahead and preview the fights coming up this weekend which are headlined by Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. Alright, so before we get into that, let's start off with some news. Uh, Paige Van Zant released a new book. I don't know if it's actually for sale yet, but she's doing like a book tour so I'm guessing so, right? That would make sense. But uh, apparently, well, in it she details some of the bullying that she went through as a kid. Like in her teenage years, she, she was bullied severely to the point where she had to eat lunch in a bathroom. And she was feeling lonely and seeking comfort of some sort and found it in this older guy who took her to a party apparently where she was gang raped at the age of 14. Can you fucking imagine? And this has been an ongoing problem in society, right? Well... So the question is, have we always known about it and we've been ignoring it? Or have we not known about it and now it's come to light? I tend to think it's probably the former. I think we've always kind of known about it, but now people are just speaking out about it and women are being like, hey, like this is happening. Let's fucking address this and we're doing it. I think it's great for society. And when people like Paige come out and talk about this stuff, it's fantastic. Not like obviously what happened to her isn't, but it's providing a source of inspiration for women and even young girls. I mean, women of all ages, right? It, it, it sets an example for you and shows you that, okay, it's okay to come out and be open about this. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You can still do something with yourself. That's meaningful after this, this event that happened to you when you were a kid or at whatever point in your life it is, it doesn't define you. It's not who you are. And any type of exposure that this fucking shit is getting, I think, is excellent. Because it's shining light on all these dirtbags and making them realize that there are going to be consequences for their actions. You can't leverage whatever power you have over someone to fulfill whatever weird sexual fucked up desires you have. So, and Paige is someone, too, who literally, for her profession, gets into an octagon and fist fights with people in front of thousands. Right? So you're talking about someone who has channeled whatever negative energy she acquired back then and put it into fighting and defending herself and is now doing it at the highest level in the UFC, right? Uh, I think Paige gets a lot of shit from especially other female fighters because she gets kind of a promotional push because of her looks. I think that rubs some people the wrong way, but I mean... Well, that's the nature of the game, right? Some people are just going to get pushed a little bit harder, but I think that her releasing this is good in that aspect too because people are going to be like, okay, she's not just this cute girl who's had this easy ride her whole life and goes out and all of a sudden you have, like, she's been through her own set of shit too. I know everyone goes through it, but this is, I mean, this is a fucking extreme example of you know, someone having a traumatic experience when they're a kid. This is fucking, most people don't get gang raped when they're 14 years old. So, she's had a rough go of things, and I think it takes a lot of courage to come out and talk about it, so kudos to her for doing so. I think this movement is great, and I think it's going to expose a lot of shit going on. Alright, next, let's talk about the possibility of Conor McGregor and Brock Lesnar fighting in 2018. Fucking fantastic odds that they're going to fight in 2018. I don't, like... I know that Brock Lesnar just signed a contract with the WWE or whatever, but I don't think they're going to have any problem with him going off to fight like one or two fights for the UFC if he really wants to. And to me, 
Brock Lesnar is just this giant walking contradiction for the UFC. Because you've implemented USADA, and you've got all the stringent testing going on, and you're showing up at fighters' houses in the middle of the night when they need the rest and saying, hey, we need a sample, we need to make sure you're clean. And then you got Brock Lesnar who gets popped at UFC 200, takes as long a break as he wants, goes over, makes a bunch of money in the WWE, and then you let a guy who has proven to you that he's taking performance-enhancing drugs back into the UFC to fight whenever he wants to make millions. He's going to make more on that card than most fighters who fight clean and have been doing this the right way and being company men and working their way up through the system. They're not going to get paid as much as this guy who just got busted for doing steroids at his last fight. So to me, it's contradictory. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you're Brock Lesnar, why the fuck wouldn't you take this fight? It makes no sense for you not to. It's a opportunity to make for you to make millions of dollars. You get to go in and compete, and you just get out of there. You don't have any obligation to the UFC. It's not like you have to keep fighting. He's probably going to find you, sign you to like a one-fight contract. It's not like you're bound to the UFC in any way after this. So why the fuck not? Go make your money and get out. Whew. And with Connor, I think I think you're going to see him fight Habib in 2018. And if you look at all the stunts that he just pulled off last week before uh, before the UFC 223 card, they can talk about how disappointed they are in him, but you bet your sweet ass that it's going to be plastered all over the promotions whenever him and Habib fight. It's got to be. He attacked a bus, threw a dolly through a window. That's all going to get put all over everything. Connor's not dumb. I think he did this on purpose. I think it's a calculated move, but... I think, point is, I think you're going to see both these guys fight in 2018 at some point. Connor probably against Tabib and Brock Lesnar against God knows who. Whew, alright, so two big fights got announced recently. The first one is Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw, which is a little bit of a bummer because I want to see TJ fight Mighty Mouse. I thought that was an interesting matchup. It would really give us a feel of how good the 125-pound division really is. But anyway, not happening. Cody Garbrandt still a great fight. And every time I think about their first fight... I think about how weird the concept of rounds are. Because Cody had TJ badly hurt at the end of the first round. And it just seems strange that a bell rings. And it signals the end of the fight even if someone's badly hurt. And you get to go sit on a stool and recover. Isn't that weird? There can be a stop in action as extreme as potentially finishing a fight. And you just get to go take a breather. And me personally, the way I think it should work. And this one, this isn't feasible. I understand that. Like... Don't start ripping me apart and be like, that'll never fucking work, dude. I know it won't. But what I think should happen is you should have like a moving time frame, right? So the round is supposed to be five minutes unless someone is in a position of dominance or is rocked. And it should be left up to the ref's discretion about whether you stop the fight at five minutes or let it pour over. And if the fight goes on for seven minutes... In the first round, then maybe the second round is only three minutes. You know what I mean? I don't know. I know that won't work, and I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's just weird that you can rock someone, and the round ends, and the guy gets to take a break even though you had him badly hurt. Um, I mean, the same or uh, the argument could be made the opposite way too, right? Like, if you're Cody, you know you got him hurt. You should be coming out with confidence, and you got to take a breather and collect yourself too, right? Like, you can argue that way. I understand that, but... It's just strange that you can stop momentum that way. I don't know. I'm not a fan of it, but I don't know how to fix it. I think that's a problem that isn't... That's the least of the UFC's concerns. That's just, uh, like, things like that happening are... 
it, it, we're so ingrained in the way things are happening. I don't think it's changing anytime soon is what I'm trying to say. And uh, another big fight that got announced is Holly Holm versus Megan Anderson. And a lot of people thought that Megan Anderson was going to fight Cyborg. But this is kind of, I don't want to call it a tune-up fight because Holly Holm is no fucking joke. And she hasn't exactly been backing down from fights lately, has she? I mean, she's fought Cyborg, Jermaine Durandamy, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey. I mean, she's got a lot of fucking top-level fighters on her resume, win or lose. So, I don't look at Holly as a tune-up fight. I look at this as a serious number-one contender fight. If Megan Anderson can beat Holly, it's going to show you a lot about how good she is, and it's going to set the stage for her to fight Cyborg. But, uh, that's a really interesting fight. I'm excited to see how that one plays out. I can't remember when it's booked for. I think it's booked for UFC 225 in Chicago, but I could be wrong. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I think that's when it is. All right, let's hop into recapping the card that happened this past weekend. So I'm going to start keeping track of how well I did on the particular card that we covered and like how well I did in the breakdown that I just did last week, and then I'll give you my overall record for the year as well. So for this one, I went 2-3, and three, and my overall record is 2-3. and three. So if you guys are using the picks that I'm providing to place bets on, I don't recommend that, by the way, because I'm fucking stupid. Like, I wouldn't recommend taking my advice and then going out and putting your money on it. But, like, in this instance, for example, UFC 223, if you place $10 on every individual fight, no parlaying, and I'm going to use Bovada Standard just to keep things consistent throughout the year when I track this, you would have lost $28.70. So you're in the fucking hole already. And if you bet more than that, you obviously lost more. Over, Like I said, I'm going to start keeping track after this past fight. So... Overall, if you were to place $10 on every single individual fight on the main card, you're down $28.70 for the year as well so far. And uh, this was a pretty good fight card, right? For all the chaos that had ensued in the week leading up to it. It was pretty entertaining. Joe Lozon versus Chris Grutzmaker was a good fight. You're going to have to forgive me a little bit because I wasn't exactly sober when I was watching these. So the memories are a little bit fleeting, but I, I, I know enough to, you know, remember... I get the big picture of how the earlier fights went. Like Chris Lowe's, or <laughs> fucking messing up the names. Maybe I don't. Uh, but Joe Lozon and Chris Grutzmaker was a good fight. And Chris picked up a big finish. It's probably going to land him a fight with a guy like Chris Wade or Drew Dober. I think that's what's next for him. I think that'll give you a good idea where this guy really stands. And Drew Dober's a pretty high-level striker, so that's an interesting matchup. I'd like to see that fight a lot. And for Joe Lozon, for me, I'd like to see the guy retire. Because I just don't think he's going to win a title anytime soon. That 155-pound division is just full of killers. And I don't think you're ever going to climb to the top. And I still think that this guy has a lot to offer to MMA, especially young, up-and-coming fighters. He's a brilliant mind. He's been a pioneer for the sport. And he's been in some wars. And I just, when I watch him fight, you know he's got the knowledge. Like, you know all everything's up here. His body's just not responding to what his brain wants him to do, it feels like, when he's fighting. So I'd like to see him... But that, that's not my call to make, right? Like, who the fuck am I to tell a professional fighter to retire? If you're Joe Lozon and you're feeling competitive and you're just in this thing because you love the fight and you're winning some... Because he wins some of his fights, right? Keep doing your thing, man. But I think he has a lot to offer to the sport, and I don't want to see a guy like him, who I like a lot, keep taking damage for no reason. All right, let's move on to Zabit Margamed Sharapov. I'm going to keep mispronouncing his name. I'm going to get it right at some point, but for now I'm going to fuck it up. Versus uh, Kyle Bokniak. And Zabit, I told you guys this was going to be fight of the night. I did get this one right. This was a hell of a fight. And Zabit put on a clinic. And Kyle Bokniak is just tough as nails, man. I think for Bokniak, you're probably looking at a guy like Calvin Cater or Josh Emmett next. 
guys who are coming off losses, and Cater fought on this card against Moicano. And uh, I think the fight with Cater is almost more interesting because these fights were kind of similar in that both Bokniak and or uh, Bokniak and Cater got outclassed by their respective opponents in kind of the same fashion, but they demonstrated toughness. And I just think that fight makes a lot of sense. So if I'm Bokniak, I really like the fight against Calvin Cater. I think that gives those guys both a really good idea where they stand because I think Zabit and Moikana were just a little bit too much right now. And for Zabit, I'd like to see him fight a guy like Miles Drury. Um, a guy like, yeah, a guy who's not too high ranked, but Miles Drury's very, very talented, and he's, he's going to give us a good idea of where Zabit stands. Like, how good is this motherfucker, really? I mean, clearly he's fucking crazy, right? He's from Russia. All them Russian fuckers are crazy. He's from, this, he's from Dagestan, right, which is where Habib is from. I think the kid shows you massive potential. Let's find out what he's made of. Next, we had... Hanada Moikano, who picked up a pretty dominant win over Calvin Cater. I thought going into this fight that uh, Cater's power was going to make a difference, and it really didn't. Moikano just put so much volume on you, man. He's so he's so precise with the striking, and he's throwing a lot of it. And you got to remember, Moikano's a legit contender. Like he's a real threat at 145. You're talking about a guy who dotted up Brian Ortega for two and a half rounds before he shot an ill-advised takedown that got him guillotined. But he's very good on the feet, and he's actually pretty good on the ground too. I mean, anyone who's going on the ground against uh, Brian Ortega is probably going to look pretty bad in comparison. But, man, he very well-rounded. and he's. I think you want to see him fight a guy like Yair Rodriguez next. Another young, exciting guy. They both have losses to top contenders on their resume. Uh, Yair lost that big fight to Frankie. Moicano dropped it to Ortega. So they're not quite ready, but they showed you that they have some promise. I mean... Moicano looked better against Ortega than Yair did against Frankie. Frankie just kind of fucking mauled him. But regardless, another one of those ones, kind of like the last fight that we just talked about, right? Like, we're going to get a good idea where these guys stand. And the winners and losers of these two fights that we just talked about, Zabit versus Bokniak and Moicano versus Cater, all four of these guys are very competitive. They just got a little bit of learning to do and a little bit of sorting out to do. All right, let's move on to the co-main event between Rose Namajunas and Joanna Juncic. And Rose looked fucking fantastic, didn't she? She really, if I remember correctly, like I said, I was a little buzzed, so forgive me if I'm fucking this up. And I've only seen the fight one time through, so it's not like I got to go back and rewatch it. But Rose put on a clinic for two rounds, and then I kind of remember Joanna storming back in the third and fourth. And I was like, all right, this is where Joanna's going to take over. And I, I think I, rem- I remember thinking it's going to come down to the fifth round. It's hard enough to recall fights, right? And you start mixing alcohol in. Now I'm, I have nowhere near as confident as if I was sober watching these. But still, I think you. I think I think you. Rose took the fifth, and she just put the fucking world on notice, right? You just beat Yawana for the second time after knocking her out the first time, and then you beat her in a. I thought it was a pretty clear cut decision. I thought Rose won handily. Um. For Joanna, what comes next for you, right? You've ran through almost everyone in the 115-pound division already, with the exception of Rose. I think you move up to flyweight. Take a fight against someone like Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think you have a whole lot to prove at 115 anymore, and I think you can be highly competitive at 125. I think Joanna goes through a pretty brutal weight cut, too, so I think that might help her out by moving up. And Rose is the queen down there now, right? She's running that division. She's already beat you twice. So it's going to be very hard to convince them to give you another title match against her. Maybe you can move back down once 
things sort themselves out and if someone dethrones her. But for right now, your best move is to move up and wait. And for Rose, I want to see her fight Jessica Andrade. Because I said this before, Joanna's someone who makes you fight at her pace while she's not exactly applying pressure on you. She's not always moving forward and marching you down and like her head down, That, but that's what Andrade does. She's coming in like this and she's like a little fucking bulldog ready to attack. And she's constantly pushing up against the fence, like changing levels, shooting takedowns, throwing real like crisp, clean combos. So it's going to be interesting to see if Rose can deal with someone who moves forward as aggressively as Jessica Andrade does. Uh, I think that's a really good test for her, and Andrade has been... I, she just ran through Claudia Gadea, right? So, man, that's an excellent fight. The women's 115-pound division is really interesting right now because it's doing a lot of sorting out. And it just got shaken up by Rose winning the title and then retaining it by defending it against Ioana. All right, let's move on to the main event between Habib and Ally Quinta. And Habib displayed pretty much dominance, right? I mean, he, there were a couple gaps and stuff where you saw, like, oh, maybe if he was fighting Tony, Tony would take advantage of this. But he's fighting Ally Quinta on one day's notice. And make no mistake, though, this is a rough fight for Habib to take. You've gone through how many opponent changes? They were going to have you fight Tony, then you were going to fight Max, then you were going to fight Anthony Pettis, then Paul Felder. Potentially there was talks about that, but then the New York State Athletic, Athletic Commission shut it down. And now you've got Ally Quinta, who's a dangerous fighter, he comes from a camp that's notorious for upsets. Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, White, right? Weidman upset Silva. Matt Sarah upset GSP. So it's like you got that in the back of your mind like, oh, these guys have pulled that off before. Even if they're not the better fighter, they've got a knack for pulling it off. In Weidman's instance, I do think he was better than Silva at the time, but there's always going to be a debate around that, especially with how both those fights ended, right? But my point is, this isn't an easy fight for Habib to take. Obviously, it's easier for him than it is Iaquinta because you're dealing with a whole new animal than Paul Felder. But still a lot going on, right? You've got a lot of emotional stress, mental stress. So to go in there and perform like he did, I thought it was very impressive. And if you're ally Iaquinta, run, run the fight with uh, Paul Felder. Get that on a card. Because I'd really like to see those two. Those two are, are in... Uh, Kind of similar situations, right? Paul Felder's a little bit more active. He's been on a knockout streak lately, but they're both on win streaks. I think Iaquinta, up until this fight with Habib, has won, won five in a row, and Felder won three, something like that. So really interesting fight, and a really, really interesting matchup stylistically, too, because Felder is a guy who utilizes elbows really well, and he just fought Oliveira and demonstrated that he has the jiu-jitsu necessities to survive in situations where he's in deep danger. So can Iaquinta put him in a spot that's going to force him to, you know what I mean, quit, basically? Can he pull off a submission? Can he knock him out? I don't know. That, And like I said, Paul Felder's been knocking people out, so you want to see if he can do that to Iaquinta. I think that's a really good fight, and I think that'll get rebooked pretty soon. All right, three biggest takeaways from this past fight. Oliver Abba Mercier, I'm kind of a dick rider on this kid. I love this kid. He's a phenomenal wrestler. He smothers you when he gets you onto the ground. And he just picked up his first knockout win, which shows you that he's been diversifying his game, right? Working on his striking a little bit. It's coming. He's coming into his own in that regard. So I'm a big fan of this kid. I think he's got to watch out for at 170. And uh, it was good to see him go out. And like I said, Mix things up, pick up a knockout win, as opposed to dominating on the ground like you do in most of the fights that you get your victories in. Um, next takeaway, number two, Rose. When she beat Ioana, that fight took place primarily on the feet. And Rose beat someone with a very strong kickboxing background. 
if that doesn't show you the growth of Rose Namajunas, who was known up until she knocked Ioana out, and even after that, people were kind of like, eh, maybe she got lucky on that hook. Uh, known for a submission game for most of her career. And for the growth that she's been experiencing, she's accelerated. It's, I mean, she just outclassed one of the best, the, the best striker in women's 115-pound division history, right? And did so pretty handily. Looked good doing it, getting the better a lot of the exchanges. It was very impressive. She's going to be a hard problem to deal with, especially because Rose is so young. And she seems so open-minded and, like, if she keeps getting that much better in between every single fight that she has, because Rose is a girl who's lost three fights. She's dropped fights in her past. Don't forget that. And relatively recently, within the last couple of years. But it just shows you how good she's gotten. If that continues, she's going to be a massive problem to deal with. I mean, she already is. She's already proven to be. But I'm just saying, if she keeps getting better, whoo, good fucking luck beating her. She's an animal. And she just keeps developing her game and it's evident in every single fight she's better every time she goes out there um next habib did look dominant but you got joe rogan on there talking about how he's hanging his chin in the air and he sees these openings and joe rogan knows what the fuck he's talking about so if he's saying that i'm trusting him but it makes you wonder because if you look at 155 pounds you've got Habib on one end of the spectrum, and he's this extreme example of how good someone can get at grappling. And Connor's on this end of the spectrum, and he's an extreme example of how good someone can get at striking. And Tony's in the middle, and he's a fucking weirdo. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he's kind of a mix of the two, right? He's like, he's got really good striking and a really good ground game, but he's not necessarily a specialist in either, like those two are known for. He's just chaotic and crazy and coming from weird ass angles and making you guess constantly. He's unpredictable. And. These three have to figure it out. And I think that with how many times the Habib and Tony fight have failed, you're going to see Habib fight Connor next. And did I go over that, actually? When we were going over what's next for the fighters? Habib versus Iquinta? I think I think I did. Anyway, Habib should fight Connor. Because this fight has fallen apart so many times already. The Tony and Habib one. But, so Habib fights Connor, and to me it's the most not the I don't want to say the most interesting cuz I want to see all three of them fight each other. I think that's the only way that you find out who's the best in the 155 pound division. But you're going to see uh, someone who's demonstrated incredible striking throughout their career and someone who's demonstrated incredible grappling throughout their career go head to head and which style is going to what's going to prevail. You know what I mean? It's going to be and you're talking about a guy in Habib who's probably going to put pressure on Connor like strong pressure. He's going to be aggressive, but Connor's the guy who makes people pay for pressure and he strikes very well moving backwards. So, to me that's the fight and it's going to it kind of sets the stage for the 155 pound division like what problem do we have to deal with? Is it Habib's grappling or Connor's striking? You're going to find that out when he's fighting. It's going to kind of I think this fight, the fight between those three guys at the top of 150 pound the 155 pound division Help to shape the future of the sport, and it sets the trend for what's the next style that we have to solve going to be. Because that's what MMA is all about. That's why it evolves so rapidly, right? People introduce these styles, and you have, and especially when they're being executed at a level as high as Habib and Connor are doing it, you have to find a way to deal with it. Nate Diaz has kind of showed us a way to deal with it, right? Just be tough as fucking nails and wear the guy out and let him punch you. Get out of here, cat. Come on. Get down. Fucking cats everywhere. Walking around. Uh, anyway, but when these two fight, 
I think it's going to set a like it's going to set a standard at least for 155 and maybe the UFC like all right this style and you're going to have people start to implement Connor style because it's effective but then you're going to have people constantly working to tear it down and dissect it and break it apart and figure out how do we get through this and deal with it and then the game will evolve from there happens all the time so it's going to be who's for me it's not just can someone expose what Habib is doing expose flaws in what he's doing it's can habib expose flaws in what connor is doing right gonna find out all right let's move on to the fights coming up this weekend uh ufc is this on fox i think so ufc fight night poirier versus gaethje uh the first fight of the main card is going to be between michelle waterson who's ranked number seven right now in the strawweight division and courtney casey who is ranked number 10 these are two girls who are kind of still trying to find their place still kind of trying to get in a groove right Michelle Watterson has lost her last two fights against Tisha Torres and the champ Rose Nama Yunez, so not bad losses. And in the Tisha Torres fight, she had her back early in the first round. Uh, looked good, just kind of got outworked a little bit. And when you're fighting Rose, I mean, whoo. That hip toss that Michelle relies pretty strongly on, she, she's hit it in her last three fights. Hit it against Rose, but Rose just took the back from there. I can't remember if she went straight to her back, but... She defended well, and it ended up leading to Rose getting the back and choking her out, I believe. No, that's not how that fight played out. Because that happened in the first round. I think Rose head-kicked Michelle and then swarmed her and then eventually got her back. I think that's what happened. If I'm wrong about that, let me know. But I think Rose head-kicked her in the second round. But my point is, I think in the first round, Michelle went for a hip toss and Rose kind of negated it it's one of michelle's strongest weapons and i think she's gonna have a hard time hitting that hip toss against courtney casey because casey's so long and uses her length pretty well um casey is aggressive though and moves forward so when she moves forward you might be able to capitalize on it there i just think casey's gonna be really hard to get to the ground from michelle i think there might be a bit of a size different there difference there um michelle's most recent win was a first round rear naked choke over Paige van zant back in 2016 and uh former atomweight champion in Invicta. Uh, she's got a karate background, and she uses that front leg kick really well, and it's almost more of a distance gauger, like where are you, keeping her opponent away from her. Not really meant to do any damage. It's just kind of like Wonder Boy-esque, like stick that thing out there and let them know like you're not coming into this area. Um, and with Courtney Casey, her most recent fight was a loss at UFC 218 against Felice Herreg, and that was a really good fight. And remember at the end of the third round with like a minute left they were flipping each other off and swearing and uh kind of like nate diaz right she reminds you of him in that regard uh but then nothing i don't think anything crazy really happened after they started doing that but it was a good fight nonetheless she looked good and it lost a split decision in a very close fight before that picked up a nice one at ufc 211 over jessica aguilar which is a tough fight and you saw courtney casey really utilized up kicks well in that fight and courtney casey's very active off her back She's got a really nice uppercut that she'll dig over and over and over again. She lands with it a lot. And before that, she fought the top dog. Well, not the champion, but the number one contender in Claudia Gadea, which is a fucking tough fight to take. And she didn't look bad. She just got outclassed. Right? Like, I don't hold that fight against her too much because Claudia was competing at such a high level. And I think Casey had so much room to grow. She's only 7-5 and five now. So at the time, she would have been what? Let's see if I can not fuck. 6-4? and four? When she took that fight. Is that right? 
six and three something like that right she's young in her career she's got a lot of room to grow claudia is a tough fight to try to win and it was in brazil odds were just stacked against you but i think michelle's strong point and this is going to be her submission game and casey hasn't been submitted in a long time like since her second professional fight um she's already got seven fights in the ufc i'm taking casey on this one i think she's going to pick up a finish in the second or third round I think she's just going to be a little bit too much for Watterson. But if I'm Watterson, you have to be more aggressive than you normally are. Get inside, get this fight to the ground, and try to slice through that guard and take the back and pick up some kind of, you know what I mean, pick up some type of submission. But Casey's really good off her back too. So I think that a lot of the things that Michelle's going to be able to do are going to be negated by Casey. That's why I'm taking her. Um, but if you are Michelle, I think the key to this fight is you have to be, you have to be uber aggressive. Because Casey's going to be aggressive. And if she starts walking you down, you're going to be in a world of hurt. you got to find a way inside. Yeah, I'm going Casey. Third round KO. Obviously, you don't fucking know, right? Like, I don't know how these fights are actually going to play out. Those are all just guesses. Like, when, I, when I'm giving you specific rounds, it's hard enough to pick the fights. And then I'm going completely off, off the fucking rails by trying to pick what round it's going to end in. That's insane. But I'm doing it anyway. Third round KO, bitches. All right, next, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Vittori is a guy who, um, one of the more hyped up Italian fighters that we have in the UFC. We have, like I'm, a, like I'm a UFC employee or some shit, but he's one of the more hyped Italian fighters in the UFC. And he just coming, he's coming off a draw against Omari Akhmedov. Before that, he beat Vitor Miranda. And before that, he lost to Antar- Antonio Carlos Jr., which is a tough fight. Carlos Jr. is very good. Um... I think he won the second round against him, lost the first, and then lost the third. But he looked good in that fight. He didn't look bad or anything. Just got outclassed a little bit. Antonio Carlos Jr. is no fucking joke, man. He's very good. Um, he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, and you're going to need that ground work, that ground experience against a guy like Adesanya. Who, I read some article where Adesanya said that this guy favors himself as a striker, which if that is your game plan going into this, if you're Vittori, Stomp that fucking shit out. That cannot happen. You cannot go into this fight thinking that you're going to beat Israel Adesanya in a kickboxing match. It's not going to happen. If you look at Israel's uh, UFC debut against Rob Wilkinson, he had good takedown defense and everything, and that guy tried to put that pressure on him in the first round. But when Adesanya got any separation at all, it was like Wilkinson. It was like a man fighting a baby. I mean, Adesanya was just picking him apart and finding, and you could tell it was easy for him. It, it was effortless. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a 55-2, 2 50 wins, 5 losses, 2 draws in kickboxing, not 55-2. and two. Uh, Like, not 55 wins, 2 losses. 50 wins, 5 losses, 2 draws, and a 5-1 and one boxing record. He's going to be better than you on the feet. I'm sorry. Deal with it. He's... A phenomenal striker, and if he can get all of his takedown defense and everything worked out, which he had a fight against Melvin Gillard back in Australian Fighting Championships, and he was kind of working some jiu-jitsu on Gillard, who's a real vet of the sport, understands the game. Granted, he's getting a little bit older, but he hit like a hip toss on him, moved into mount, and then he knocked Gillard out. This guy's 12-0 and has 12 knockouts. 100% of the fights that he's fought and he's finished, and it, like I said, when he starts teeing off on people, he makes it look easy. I'm going without Asanya on this one. I think that if you're Vittori, you got to apply some pressure. You got to get this fight to the ground and you got to keep it on the ground. And if you're applying, if you're 
running up at Adesanya and you got him pinned on the fence and you're trying to land takedowns and you're not landing them, it's going to wear on you. You need to make your shots count and you need to make sure that when you're in those clinches, when you're in the clinch and you're up against the cage, that you're finishing your takedowns and getting this to the mat. Because if you're wearing yourself out trying to drag this guy, because he's no fucking joke to take down, you're going to see. And if you go back and watch his last fight, you'll see it. You'll see, you'll see it already played out. But Adesanya is no joke, man. He's hard to take down. And he's going to outclass, I would say, 99% of the people that he's going to fight in the middleweight division on the feet. Granted, MMA striking is a little bit different just because you got more stuff to worry about. But he's not a guy that you want to stand in front of. you got to mix things up while you got to maybe feint some takedowns if you're going to land some shots on him. I don't know. I just think it's a rough go for Marvin Vittori. I like Adesanya in this fight, and I like him second-round KO. Maybe third. Because if you look at Marvin Vittori's fight against Vitor Miranda, he won but he in the third round, and he did it in the Antonio Carlos Jr. fight too. Fades a little bit, like he's getting a little bit tired. If Adesanya can stretch this out into the third round even, even if he loses the first two because he's being pressed up against the cage and stuff, I think you'll start to see Adesanya really take over in the third. But I think he's going to get going before that. I think he's going to be a handful, and I think he's going to finish it in the second, but if not, the third. Uh, so yeah, official pick, Adesanya. Let's go third. Official pick, third round knockout. All right, next we have Alex Oliveira versus Carlos Condit. And Oliveira is a guy who I feel like doesn't get enough credit for how good he actually is, Right? Um, he's 18, four and one. His last loss was his most recent fight against Yancey Medeiros at UFC 218, which was a crazy fucking fight. Probably would have won fight of the night if Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje aren't on that card. Definitely would have, I would say. And before that beat Ryan LaFlair and Tim Means. Remember Tim Means was a rematch because they had some illegal knee bullshit in the first one that got called a no contest. But, uh, like I said, he's got four losses. One of them is to Yancey. Another to Cowboy, and another in the UFC. He's got three losses in the UFC, I think. But uh, one of his losses was in his UFC debut against uh, Gilbert Burns in the 155-pound divisions. You're talking about a guy who was depleting himself to get down there because Oliveira struggles. He's a big guy. He struggles to get to 155. He's used to fighting at 170. That's where he saw most of his success in his career. And he fought Cowboy when Cowboy was on a fucking tear. Am I right about that? Has Alex Oliveira fought most of his fights at 170? Because now I'm second-guessing myself because I see the Cowboy fight. I'm going to have to look that up after this. I don't want to mislead anyone. Maybe he did fight for a while at 155 and then moved up because of... Because I know he struggled with weight in one of his fights. He he fought someone and couldn't make the weight. I can't remember who it was now, though. Regardless, Oliveira's very game is what I'm telling you, and he's very good in like the clinch and stuff. He's a, he's, he's a guy you got to watch out for. And Carlos Condit has been going through a rough patch lately. Still ranked number 12, but he's 30 and 11. And we're talking about a guy who at one point in his career was on a five-fight tear and beating guys like Jake Ellenberger, Rory McDonald, Dan Hardy, Don Young Kim, and Nick Diaz. He beat all of those guys before he lost to GSP in 2012 when he challenged him for the title. That's an impressive fucking hit list. Rory McDonald especially, who might be the best 170-pounder in the world right now fighting over in Bellator. Um... But most recently, he went into retirement or whatever, came back, dropped the loss to Neil Magny at UFC 219 back in December. Before that, he lost to Damian Maia in the first round via rear naked choke. And before that, lost a razor, razor close split decision to Robbie Lawler in a fight that I thought Condit won. It was for the title, but I'm not a fucking judge, so I don't get to say it, right? Uh, Condit's a guy, he's, he's been having trouble finding his rhythm. 
lately, and I think that's part of the reason that he started to retire. Neil Magny is a tough fucking fight to take when you decide to come back from retirement. That's not that's not a gimme fight by any stretch of the imagination. So if Condit got into that fight and shook some rust off, I think that's going to be good for him. I'm taking Condit in this fight just because I think, for the reason I just said, I think that Neil Magny fight kind of allowed him to shake that rust off, reevaluate his priorities, and get back into things mentally in camp. And he'll, I think he's going to get a really good... Uh, a really good like eight week training camp underneath him. His head's all going to be there, and I think he's going to come out and look really good. I think he's going to win this fight by, by keeping Oliveira at bay, utilizing some elbows, and uh, yeah, using that long frame to land some punches. I think Condit's going to look good in this fight. I think he might. I don't want to say return to form. I think that might take a couple more fights, but I think we're going to start to see like okay. This is what we kind of used to see from Condit. It might be a little bit watered down, but I still think he's good enough. To beat Oliveira. Not counting Oliveira out by any means. Like I said, he's very game. He's a dangerous guy. And he's tough. He's tough as fuck. If you look at that Yancey Medeiros fight, you'll no longer doubt that if you ever did. So, but no, these are all toss-up fights. I mean, all of the fights on this card could go either way. There's no one that I'm looking at and I'm being like, they're definitely taking this one. I, So I don't ever look at the odds when I'm picking fights because I don't believe in doing that. I don't believe in basing who I think is going to win a fight based off what like Vegas odds makers are telling me. You know what I mean? I don't believe in that because I think that fighting is too complicated to just try to throw a number on someone as the favorite, right? Most of the time, like when Habib fought Iaquinta, obviously Habib's going to be the favorite. But And when Cyborg fights almost anyone, but when she was fighting her last few opponents like Tanya Avenger and stuff, like obviously she's going to be a massive favorite. That makes sense. But I don't know. I try. My point is... When I make these picks, I try to give you genuine picks. Like, I don't want to look at a number and have that sway my opinion in any way. So I'll give you the picks, and then you can go look at the odds after. I hardly ever look at them. Like, I'll look at them when I do the recap of the fight, like I just did earlier, so that you can see, like, how I'm doing. Because if I'm going to do these picks, I want to be held accountable for them. I want to let you know how many I got right, how many I got wrong, what I got wrong about the fight, what I got right about the fight. Like, if you were to bet, I'll I'll let you know how much money you would have won just because it's kind of fun, right? You're probably going to be in the hole if you're taking my advice, but regardless, I want to be held accountable for the picks that I'm making is my point. And I don't want my picks to be swayed by the fact that I see a minus 1,200 next to someone's name and a massive, you know, I don't know. That's an extreme example, but you get my fucking point. Let's move on. Dustin Poirier is fighting Justin Gaethje in the headliner, and this is going to be a barn burner. Your headliner is probably your fight of the night, and you've got some interesting fights that are leading up to this, right? Everything's going to come to a climax, and then this is going to be firework. This is your grand finale. I think this is going to be a great fight. You're talking about two guys who love these gritty type of wars, and they're not afraid to take damage or hand it out. Dustin Poirier exemplified that in his win over Anthony Pettis most recently. Before that, um, he had that weird fight with Eddie Alvarez where it looked like Dustin was going to win, then Eddie landed the illegal knees or whatever, got turned into a no contest. And before that, beat Jim Miller. Dustin Poirier has been around for a while, man. He's 22-5-0. He's won nine of his last 11 fights. Beat Bobby Green, uh, Joe Duffy, Yancey Medeiros, Jim Miller, Anthony Pettis. And his three losses, well, his most recent ones in the UFC, have come to Michael Johnson, Conor McGregor, and Cub Swanson. And Conor McGregor and Cub, maybe Michael Johnson too. Michael Johnson might have been a lightweight. But I, I know Conor McGregor and Cub, those losses were at 145 pounds. So 
again, an example of a fighter who's depleting himself to get down to a weight that he probably shouldn't be fighting at. I think Dustin's looked fantastic since he's moved up to 155. Never looked better. And he's fighting a guy in Justin Gaethje who is an animal. He's a freak. And he's got a, people forget this. Justin Gaethje has a very strong wrestling background. He was the first All-American um, at the University of Northern Colorado. And they're only All-American, I believe. As of 2017, at least. Uh, he was a two-time state champion in high school in Arizona. So Gaethje's going to be your fan favorite, right? Because these fights take place in uh, Glendale, Arizona. I don't know where Poirier's from. But Gaethje, my point, Gaethje won the state championship in high school in Arizona, so the crowd's going to be behind him here. Um, most recently had that war against Eddie Alvarez. Picked up a win over Michael Johnson before that. Uh, he lost Eddie Alvarez, by the way. That knee in the third round kind of shut the lights off for him. And before that, uh, won a fight against Luis Firmino in the World Series of Fighting Championships. Um, he's got an aggressive wild style. Throws some crazy leg kicks out there. Puts himself in extreme danger to deal to deal damage. He's exciting. These are two exciting guys to watch, and I think this is going to be a crazy fight. That um, really, the deciding factor is going to be who breaks first. And I don't think either of these guys are going to break. You might see a five round war here. It won't be if these guys lose. It won't be because they they. When I say broke, I don't think they're going to break mentally. It'll be like someone got hit on the chin and they they just couldn't take the punch. You know what I mean? Like, they've been accumulating damage all fight, and all of a sudden they get hit with the shot that just kind of turns things off for them, and they can't deal with it anymore. Not mentally, just their body won't respond. You know what I mean? I think it'll be a knockout loss if someone picks it up. I'm going with Gaethje, and I hate to pick this fight. I really don't like picking fights, that, especially between two guys that I like and two guys who are so closely matched, I think. This is going to be a, this is gonna be a fun one, but if I had to pick, I'm going to put my money on Gaethje. I think he's going to utilize the leg kicks really well, especially early on, kind of like he did in the Eddie Alvarez fight, and then get going against Dustin. It's going to be a lot for Dustin to keep up with. But I could be absolutely wrong. Dustin could come out and fucking put on a clinic too. He's an animal, and this is going to be a hell of a fight. It's a fun. This is going to be a fun year if you're a fight fan. There's a lot of good shit going on, and I'm fucking pumped for it. All right, guys. I think that wraps it up. Let's go back through. I'll give you the picks over real quick one more time. Michelle Waterson versus Courtney Casey. I'm taking Courtney Casey based off aggression. Israel Adesanya, I think, is going to be a little bit too much for Marvin Vittori. Carlos Condit is... Uh, this is a close fight, too, but I think Carlos is just going to be a little bit too much on the feet for Oliveira. And Gaethje in a toss-up. All these are toss-ups, like I said, but this fight especially... I mean, if the other ones are toss-up, this is... I don't even know what you want to fucking call this. This is I, I have no idea who's going to win this, and I think it's going to be a crazy fun fight. Maybe fight of the year candidate, to be honest. It should be insane. But thank you for tuning in. I will catch you guys later.